There are a bunch of people who are supposed to supposedly leading the debrief, but because Brian has lived such a life in Christ, he commanded everyone's attention and he directed how that debrief was going to go. They had plans and he opened the door for me to, to share and to pray and opened the door for us to be able to work with other officers. Very powerful because everyone in the room was willing to allow him to do that. One of the officers afterwards, and this man is bad to the bone. I mean, he's tough dude. Former Marine, well, a Marine that's now serving as a police officer. He's a tough dude. He got choked up when he and I were talking. He said, it scared me to death because Brian is really the only dad that I've ever had. See, when we live our lives as Christ would call us to live, we can touch the hearts of even the hardest human beings. And that's what this man has done and is doing. Really appreciate him. He's a hard charger. He's an A-type personality. And uh, I kind of like that. And so he's going to bring it to you tonight. And I, I, I don't know where he's going to go with this passage of scripture, but uh, I know wherever he goes will be in the word and it will help you grow your faith. To so stand firm no matter how bad it might get. Amen? All right, bring him up. Brian Brad. I found this here today. This is uh, Willamette High School DECA Club. This is our vice president. Twice. I was in the president. So, but I, you know, I found that today going through that, you know, and for those of you who don't know, most of you know that Bill was my high school teacher. Right? He, he was living that life. Now, he, I, you know, he did marry one of his students, just so we're, <laughs> so we're aware of that. Um, but that might sound bad on top, but, you know, I think you, you waited for her to graduate, didn't you? Yeah, okay, I think she did go. Um, so, <laughs> joking aside, but he knew, right? Like, you, you, you have a woman that was living a godly life. He was a very young teacher, don't get me wrong. Okay. You know, uh, but what a great man. And, and you know, when I saw this, I was going through some stuff, I don't know, and, and I found that man, I got, I, I got choked up a little bit because it was because of, of this, this, this club I was in, because of his class, of why I'm here, because he decided to live the life no matter what. I said this, uh, I don't know, it was a year or two ago, as I, as I thought about his journey. Right, had a had a you know government job in a, in a public school with a great retirement, great benefits, and great pay, and with children and a wife, he walked away from that to serve God. So as we talk about our strong hope and overwhelming fear, so many examples that had to be a. A tough decision, right? As a, as a husband, as a father, to be like, I'm putting all my trust in God. I'm leaving all of this. And I know he's touched every one of our lives. And I, and I praise God that you did that. I wouldn't be here without you making that decision. 
and telling me in the school store one day, because I was a pretty rough kid, hey, by the way, I'm a preacher at Pleasant Hill. I'm like, good for you. <laughs> and then 15 years later, without ever seeing that man again, I called him when I was searching. You don't know. And so as we, as we talk about hope, right, and, and I'm, I'm glad that, that Kirk, man, Kirk got me fired up, man. I'll tell you what, I'm like, well, look, I, I just want to say something. We got a, a nice professional email from, from Bill that said, hey, limit everything to 45 minutes, you know. Well, if, if anybody noticed on the schedule, my start time's at 8. Anybody know what time it is right now? Oh, it's 7.30. So I have till 8.45, correct, if it's, if it's 45 minutes and my start time's at 8. So I won't go that long. But hang on. Because, because it's going to be a ride, okay? It's going to be a ride. And you're going to be pierced to the heart in the end. I will guarantee you that. Because I put together the lesson, and I was. As I always am, generally. But this one, more so than others. And, and Kirk, man, I was just like, man, whoo! I'm sitting back there going, man, look out! You know, I love Kirk. You know, him and I are so different. Like, if we were just two dudes walking on the street, I wouldn't even look at that guy. You know? That's what I love about the body of Christ. Because... And God just brings us all together, right? As we talked about that one body, right? You know? And I love that man. Anybody trying to touch that man, they got to go through me, and that ain't happening. <laughs> and I, I, I die for that man. You know, he's my brother. And so, anyway, as we, I talk about our strong hope. And one more thing I, I, that I brought out, you know, when you talked about, you know, we've got to put on a lot of makeup. We've got to get, get ready for Jesus. And I told Kyle, I'm like, you've got to put on a lot of makeup, dude. <laughs> You're going to need more than the rest of us, okay? Just so you know, all right? Well, with that, you know, we'll get you fired up. We'll get you inspired, okay? Um, you know, a lot of people brought somebody up to pray, all right? Uh, I didn't do that. And what I thought, as I was, and I was putting this lesson together, uh, I, think about, I think about Mad Dog a lot, yeah. you know? And... and more so than anything, it, it inspires me to live righteously because of all those that are waiting for us to get there. Yeah. I hope you all believe that Mike is sitting there waiting for us to get there. What an inspiration that is, right? You know? And so in, in his memory, uh, in, in respect and honor of our brother, well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're just so very thankful, Father, for all that you do for us in our lives, for your word, for the strength that we have through your son, Jesus. And as you talked about your word, those who have gone before, you know, and I, and I've, I've, I thought about Mad Dog Mike Harper, who's, who's there with you now, and I hope you're enjoying it, because we miss it. But it inspires us to go and live that life, not only to see Jesus, our Lord and our King, but to see others that fought that good fight. All the way to the end. And are there waiting for us as well. So I pray that as, as we go through this lesson. That we would be inspired. To take these words and make them part of our lives. So that we too can be the examples for others to see. And so Lord well and Father. If we live that life and we make it. That others can look forward to seeing us there too. I just pray for your blessing upon this lesson. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Love that man. Okay, so, I don't title lessons. Uh, if you've ever heard me, I don't do three points. I just shoot from the hip and we go, right? So, 
But Bill titled the lesson for me. Thank you, Bill. That was very nice. I was like, oh, I'll have to come up with a title. You know, uh, our strong hope and overwhelming fear. Right? Our strong hope. Second Corinthians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. And I, I like Kirk. You know, I, I like to find in terms. And he hit hope right on, the, right on the head. Right? To anticipate usually with pleasure, expectation, confidence. Right? That confident expectation. That's what hope is. Confidence is everything. In my line of work, presence is everything. You can step in a room and you can command presence just by standing there. Right? Our enemy is, is a seven-headed coward. I hope you know that. That he's a coward. He's not going to take you head on. He's going to hit you from behind. He's going to hit you from the side. And we're going to talk about that you know, a little bit later. But he's a coward. So we have to have that confidence. We have to have that presence. And as we talk about overwhelming fear, right? Fear is a real thing. You know, people that say, oh, don't get afraid. You're a liar. Fear is a, is a, is a, is a, is a natural emotion as a human being. We get scared. But how do we deal with it? That's the thing. Right? Fight or flight. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand and fight? Are you going to run? And I always use the example of, I love watching nature stuff. Uh, you know, the, the bewilderbeasts, as I call them, uh, or your Cape Buffalo. Because the bewilderbeasts, what? They just run, and they're all about themselves, right? When I'm in the herd with Sharon, I just have to outrun Sharon. That's it. The lion, as we talked about, the lion's going to take out Sharon, and I'm good, man. I'm like, sorry, Sharon. You know, maybe you should run faster next time. Oh, there's not going to be a next time. Uh, or you do the Cape Buffalo, right? Like we... We center up, right? And we put the strongest out in front. We protect the weak, the young, right? And so that lion can't come in. So that fight or flight, you know, and we talk about fear. The fear defined, right? A feeling of anxiety and agitation caused by the presence or nearness of danger, evil, pain. It can be defined as timidity, dread, terror, fright, apprehension, doubtful. Doubtful, even that, right? Fear can even be defined as doubtful. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later too. We live, as it's been brought out, we live in a, and most people live in a hopeless world, right? They, they know there is no hope. This is it for them. That's it. So we should live differently because we know better, right? We have that great hope because we know that heaven is awaiting us. Mad Dog Mike is sitting there waiting for us to come, to embrace us, and think of others that have gone before, right? They're waiting. They're encouraging us. Keep fighting that good fight. Have the hope. Persevere. Don't worry about that fear, right? But a lot of people, a lot of people in this world live with no hope. And believe me, I see it. I see it every single day. That I deal with the most hopeless people that we have in our society. And it's sad. And I tell you what, when you just sit and talk, and I thank my brother Jeff back there for that, because when I first became an officer, man, I just wanted to fight everybody and throw everybody in jail, man. That was it. Like, let's go. You know, and Jeff's like, hey, you should probably rethink that a little bit, you know. They got, they're sitting in the back of your car. They got nowhere to go. Maybe you should talk to them. Encourage them. So I had to change my mindset a little bit, right? And so I did. 
And when I started doing that, I tell you what, even guys that I fought, by the time I got to the pre-book area, was sitting there and I'm talking to them, they're crying. Right? Just because I gave them a little bit, and this is their words, a little bit of worth. A little bit of worth. Most people think that they are worthless. And we can give them some worth. We can give them some hope by simply living a life. Right? And what's that life look like? Let's read. Let's read. I'll read it now. Me and you gave it to me. I should, I should probably read it. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 11. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are partners in our suffering, so also you are in our comfort. For we don't, do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which occurred in Asia, and that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who rescued us from so great a danger of death, and will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. If you also join in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor granted to us through the prayers of men. The comfort, right? We're comforted so others can be comforted with the same comfort, right? That's defined, that comfort there is defined as, as to console, but also to encourage. So that comfort has two meanings, right? We're consoling people, but we're also encouraging them. Let's go to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. We'll break down here basically verses 3 through 7 here. And we're going we're gonna to look at the comfort, right? Let's go to Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. Right? The rich man and Lazarus. Now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen and enjoying himself in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed from the scraps which fell from the rich man's table. Not only that, the, the dogs were also coming in licking his sores. Great picture. Thank you, Lord. Now it happened that the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's arms. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he raised his eyes being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his arms. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us 
and use it as a great chasm has been set, so that those who want to go over from here to you will not be able to, nor will any people cross over from here to us. He said, Then I requested you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. And for I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so they will not come to this place to torment as well. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded, even if someone rises from the dead. The comfort. It's same, same word. Comforted there in Abraham's arms. Right? That same comfort. That's what it's talking about. Alan, where are your parents? Did they have to? They, they have to go. Yeah, okay. What a, what a great and awesome thing. Man, when I heard that, it, it just brought such joy to my heart. When I first became a Christian, I, I studied with my grandmother, who was very close to me. And I began studying with her. And it was pretty good for a while. And then she said, if you're going to come over anymore and bring that Bible, don't come over. Because she had the reality of heaven and hell. And she's like, well, if Grandpa's in hell, that's where I want to go. And I read her this passage. Grandpa is telling you, listen to your grandson. That's what Grandpa's telling you. And she told me again, don't bother coming over. If you're going to bring that Bible. Now I'm so thankful that your parents have such a good heart. That they were willing to listen. And that you guys were willing, right? Willing to work. My grandma made it to 100 years old. And never again wanted to study with me. And that's just the reality, right? And in the end it's her choice. And it stinks. But it's her choice. Right? And, 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 sit, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, to look across there and, and you know, to, to have, and I, I put my grandma there, you know, and it was just like, man. And so, man, it's just the rest of our family, right? Why don't you listen? You just want to tell them. I just want to yell at my dad and my brother and, you know, all those. I just listen. And they know the kind of man I am, or I was. Let me tell you, there's a lot of changes that happened in my dad, but he's just not there yet. We never told each other that we loved each other growing up. That was not a thing. We didn't, I didn't hug my dad. My mom left when I was 14 years old, out the door. So I was raised by my dad. Good man. Just, there wasn't a whole lot of that. So we never told each other we loved each other. I became a Christian. It took years. And now guess who says, I love you first? That to me is a big step. But I don't know how much time that I have. So I better be living it all the time, right? The same for all our family that, that's, that's not there. I want, I want them in, in heaven. But such a, such a joy. I just, you know, that's so awesome. You know, praise God. I just, when, I, when I heard that, I'm like, man, I was just so, I was so happy for them, but I was, I was even happier for you. Because as long as everybody's living it, right, to the end, you get to spend eternity with your parents. Man. Yes. That's, that's what we're talking about. That's great hope. Right? Man, that's, that's what we should be striving for. Seeing that picture, I sit back there in the back, and boy, I tell you what, there in the back, this thing just booms when you guys are singing. I'm watching that slideshow, and I'm like, man, that's what heaven's going to be like. Man, that's gonna, it's going to be awesome. 
All of us there together. I can't remember who it was years ago. Somebody was studying with a, a kind of a heavier set lady. And, and they're like, hey, we're going to get a new body. And she's like, I want a thin one. <laughs> Don't know what it's going to be like, right? But does it matter? Because we're all going to be there together, right? And that's why we're here today. That's why we're here this weekend, to encourage one another so that we all do make it. It's not just about me making it. I want all of you to make it. And if I can do something to help you do, to, to make it, then that's great. I love everybody that's just behind the scenes, you know. I get to stand up here and try to encourage you, but there's so much encouragement from behind the scenes. All of you that are working so hard. You know, the, the, the body is so important. God puts us all uh, in the place that he needs us. And then we have to embrace, you know, what our part is. And he, and he put me up here, and, and, I, and I praise him for this, but I tell you what, this is kind of some of the scariest stuff that I do. All the stuff I do as a police officer, nothing compared to getting up here to preach God's word. Because I want to be, I want to do it right. And I want you to take something from it so that, that you continue to grow and that you'll make it. And I also know that there's a stricter judgment for teachers, which I'm okay with. You know, it makes me study even harder, right, to make sure that I get it right. And most of these lessons that I do are more so for myself than anybody, but I, I really, I try to, you know, turn it to, to where it encourages you well. Verses 8 through 10, back to, to 2 Corinthians, verses 8 through 10 there. They know not trusting in ourselves, right? But are setting our hope, what? In God, right? Who raises the dead, right? Not trusting in ourselves. Go to uh, Colossians chapter 3. Let's go there. As we look at those two verses. Colossians 3 verses 1 through 4, right? This has been talked about before. Therefore... If you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, right? What do we set your minds on the things that are above, right? Not on the things that are on earth. For you've died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I love this next one, right? Really listen to the next one. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. When Christ, who is our life, Right? Embrace that. The fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. The fullness of God dwells, present tense, present tense in bodily form. Who's that talking about? Yes, right? What else does God have to do? Can, can you answer that for me? What else does God have to do? He's given us his word. He sacrificed his son. And he's given us the Holy Spirit. What else does he have to do? Nothing. It's up to us. It's up to us, us that, to embrace that and, and take that on, right? And, and, and live that life. Go to James 4-7. This is one of my favorite. James, I love. I could just read James all day long, right? For me, I'm a simple guy. I like, I like practical stuff, you know? And I think James is so practical, right? In James 4-7, it says... Submit, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. When we're talking about putting all our hope in God, you know what that submit there defined is? Yield. Yes. Yield. Now, granted, on the highway, and I've said this a hundred times, people do not understand what that triangle sign means. 
Because they have no idea how to yield. Because in their mind, yielding is what? Going first. No, that is not yield. Okay? So I think about us in a Christian mindset that why don't we understand what yield is? This says right there, submit to God. That means yielding to him. That means letting who go first? God. Not us. That means God goes first. And then we follow. Right? Talks about following in Jesus' footsteps. So it's important. I used to always go to the second part of that verse before I looked at the first part. I'm like, well, all I have to do is resist the devil and he'll flee from me. But the first part is yielding to God. We have to let God go first and then, and then we can resist the devil. And we let God lead. And I've seen people flee, brother. And boy, Jeff, Jeff's seen them too. You know, like when people flee, man, they, they run for their lives. You know, they'll jump fences. I don't, I go through fences. I don't jump fences. Um, had, had to pay for a few cedar boards, you know, as I go through fences. I'm like, nope, not jumping that one, you know. Just got to watch out where the post is. <laughs> may, have, may have done that a time or two, right? But these people flee, man. They, they flee. And that's what we can do to the devil. We can make him run away like the coward that he is. But we first have to yield to God, Right? We yield to him. We resist the devil. There's our part, right? We follow God. We have to do our part in the resistance, and the devil's gone. Now, is he going to come back? Sure he is. He'll wait for a little more opportune time, as he did with Jesus, as we see all the time. But we have to submit to him, right? Submit to God. Let him lead. And the last part of 2 Corinthians, you don't have to go back there, but it's really talking about prayer, right? If, if, if you're not completely convicted by Dennis Nagy's lesson on prayer, I don't know what else I can do for you in the, in the next few days. And I hope that through your own prayer life, you have seen amazing things happen to you. Time and time again. And I almost, I guarantee, I don't think it's 100%, but it's really close. I know it's in the 90s of how I thought that prayer was going to be answered was not how God answered it. Right? But he did answer it. And we see that. He answered that. And Dennis felt that power. When he heard that others were praying, and we were praying, I remember praying. And look what God can do. We've seen him work miracles. We've seen him do it. I love it when the doctor scratches her head and go, I have no idea what's going on. Right? I can't explain this. Well, you're supposed to be the smartest man on the earth. You're a doctor. And they go, no, I can't explain anything. Mm, that's good, because that's God working right there. And then they really lose their mind when you tell them that. There's one smarter than you, and it's God. So how do we set our hope in overwhelming fear? How do we do it? Right? I say, I call it training. God calls it practice. Right? right? Exactly we right. practice those things, yeah. and we're going to look at some scriptures that. But I want to touch on one thing. Okay? We talked about confidence. Right? Be confident. Presence is everything in order for us to win and make it. You know, in Revelation 21, as God lists the people that are destined for the lake of fire, the murderers, the idolaters, the sexually immoral people, all those nasty people that are making, you know who the first two on that list are? Yep. That are above those? The cowardly and the unbelieving. Right. The cowardly and the unbelieving are at the top of that list. 
above the murderers and above all the nasty others that are going to the lake of fire. How important is confidence and presence and not being cowardly or unbelieving? How important is your faith? Right? It is everything. That will keep you, right? And it's not about, I'm going to do this so I don't go to hell, right? No, I'm going to do this because I love God. That's the mindset we have to have. I live this way because I love God, because I'm thankful for what He has done for me. So we'll see. Let's, let's look at a couple of scriptures, right? So go to second, well, just second Corinthians 13, 5. You can go there, write it down. But it says what? That we need to test yourselves. We need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. That's important. Take, take a self-look and be like, am I doing it? And I guarantee you, like, you're going to know. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be like, well, maybe I am, you know. It's, it's, it's going to be pretty obvious that you're not. Okay, we'll fix it, right? Don't need to get down about it. Just fix it, right? I need to work on this. Get in the scriptures. Start doing it, right? Because either you're hot or cold, right? God, God says that. Doesn't God say that? What's he say he's going to do to a lukewarm Christian? Vomit, right? He's going to vomit that lukewarm Christian. That's, that's a picture. I love God's pictures, right? I get that. Okay, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be vomited out of somebody's mouth, especially God's. Right? Be hot. God wants us to be hot. And he wants us to be hot all the time. Not cold, not lukewarm. He wants us hot. Right? So we have to practice. We have to practice. Go to Philippians 4 9. Philippians 4 9. Practice. As for the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Right? When people say, I hear some Christians say, well, God's not with me right now. Well, what? Maybe you're not doing the right things then. Right? It says when we practice these things, that God, what? Will be with you. And the next one, this one's great. Second Peter chapter 1. Do you believe everything God says in his word? I just want to ask that. Right? Good. I hope you do. You know, unlike some religions that decide to take some of these books out because that just doesn't fit what I want. Right? That's not us. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, right, it says, Now for this very reason also apply all diligence, all diligence, right, in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, right? All this is building. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. Now, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they do not make you useless nor unproductive in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, here it is. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choice of you. For as long as you practice these things, here it is, you will never stumble. Yep. Do you believe what God says? Do you believe his word? Right? He says if we practice these things, you will never stumble. Never. Never is a big word. Something we don't say in, in, in police world. 
Never say never, never say always. That's what we say. God says that we practice these things, you will never, you will never stumble. How important is practice? How important is training? Right? Every single day. I'll tell you what, I'll be 51 this year. You know, I still work out four to five days a week. I shoot a ton. There's a lot of things I do to be, uh, to win at work, right? At work. That's what I'm talking about, right? So I do all this stuff so I can win. There's still most, any of the young guys cannot take me yet at work. So, yes, I take a lot of pride in that. But that's because of what? That's because of training and of practice, right? And you, and you run through scenarios in your head a lot. I think that's important to do as a Christian. Right? Run through scenarios. You know? What if something's happening over here? What if something's happening there? Right? School shooter, right? Like, constantly. We train that a lot. We, we practice that a lot in my head. I, you know, I, I run through, what am I going to do if I'm the first one there? On August 31st of last year, I found out that bullets do a lot of damage. Weird. <laughs> right? Man. Go to this guy's house who's terrorizing his neighborhood. Right? He keeps going to this house. We keep showing up. I finally had enough. Right? Start pounding on his door. I'm like, this guy's going to jail. Like, just open the door so I've got a hold of you and the fight's on. I don't care. You're going to jail. And he starts shooting to the door. See, that's that's cowardly. That was not a fair fight. And you know what it did? It made me angry. My wife has this new personality test thing. I don't know. I'm an eight. Whatever that means. <laughs> it defines the person as most of their emotions go right to anger. Believe me, I was angry that day. I was angry that I was in a lot of pain, and I was angry that I lost. See, that to me was a loss. Because somehow, someway, I put myself in a situation that somebody could shoot me, which I said would never happen. Because in a fair fight, I trained so much, that dude ain't going to win. I have the confidence to know. But that wasn't a fair fight. So I had to think about this in a spiritual mindset, right? Is the devil going to be fair? The devil's not going to be fair. It's not going to be a fair fight. He's a coward. He's going to shoot you from a closed door where he can't, or you can't see him. Now, God talks about flaming arrows, right? Well, I'll guarantee you, any of you bow hunters out there, arrow can do just an effective job with a bullet. It just don't fly as far. That arrow can, can, can do just the same amount, right? Man, so what I do? I thought my foot was blowing off initially. That, that's what I'll, I'll tell you that. I'm laying in the hospital. I got to go in 10 days uh, to go marry this incredible couple that asked me to marry them in Montana. Yeah. I am literally sitting in the ER when I found out that nothing's actually broken, that there's just a whole lot of damage in there, right? And I'm talking to the ER doctor literally two hours after I'm I'm like, I got to drive to Montana in 10 days. How are we going to do this? And I'm not tooting my own horn because who am I concerned about? I'm not concerned about me. I'm, I'm still angry, right? But I want to go. I wanted to be part of that. That meant a lot to me. 
It was an, a, a huge honor to be asked by Kayla and Ryan to perform their wedding. And because we were going, we had decided to take the boys to Yellowstone, have a nice trip, spend three or four days there. So what am I going to do? Stay at home? Feel sorry for myself and cancel all that? Or what? Just push through. Right? It's just pain. That's all it was. And so you push through. Because I wanted to be there. And I was more concerned about Kayla and Ryan and my boys and my wife about going on this trip that we so needed. Because I work a lot. And so I don't get a lot of time to do that. And so I was ticked off to this guy for doing it to me. And so I'm like, well, you're not taking this away from me. Do we say that to the devil? You're not taking this away from me. You're not going to win. I'm better than you. Do you have that confidence to say that to the biggest coward that we have? He's destined for the lake of fire. I love what you said because I say it all the time. We're on a winning team. You're already on the winning team. You know, that's it. God wins in the end. You're part of his army. We win. As long as we continue to practice and do the things that God asks us to do. Right? You're on the winning team. You think about it. When you fight people that have nothing to lose, it's a different kind of fight. It is. Believe me. I can speak from experience. The guys that have nothing to lose, when you're fighting that man, it is, it is a fight. The devil's got nothing to lose. He's already destined for the lake of fire. Steve Doty, Scott and I talked about this. We, we, this one keyed in on us. But Steve Doty was here in this spot talking about the living matrix being built, right? And we don't know how many souls, how many, how many in this case, how many rocks go into that matrix before it activates, right? And it's over. Bam. Clouds split. Here comes Jesus. Great day. We're not, we're not looking for rocks to climb under. Right? We're going to be, hallelujah, let's go home. Party on, dude. Right? Like, let's go. But now you think about this, right? I want you to think about these stones as souls. Right? And so some of our older, most of those that lead our congregations are where? They're down here, right? I got all my newer Christians up there. You start plucking, you start plucking souls out of this part, what's going to happen? Right? The whole thing's going to crash down. How much are we really focused on taking care of those men in leadership? You think that, why would the devil waste the time on me or anybody else that's kind of petty, right? When they go after those two right there. Because if you take those two out, what are you going to do? You could take out a whole bunch of people. The ones that need the most encouragement and the most building, right, are, are men like him and his wife. So you don't think the wives are involved in this? Right? Think about that as that living matrix, right? We don't want to be plucked out of that matrix. And we just want to keep building it, right? Because we look forward. I know you all look forward to that day, Right? So we keep training. Okay. Examples. I just started at 8.06. 40 minutes. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> no. <laughs> 10 minutes. 
examples. Yeah. I figured that's why you put me at eight. I figured you put me at eight o'clock because I could just go forever. Man. Ain't no windows open up. Nobody's gonna fall off, right? Ain't nobody falling out a window here. We're good, right? All right. Examples, right? We need examples. Right? We need to see, you know, those, and and so we know what it looks like, right? Uh, let's go to Matthew fourteen. Matthew 14. Oh, Peter. Right? Matthew 14, verse 26. Now, Jesus, right, he's walking. He's already walking. He went up by himself to pray. You know, which I love Jesus for that, for that picture that he has for us. Man, that, that dude, he went on, like, zero sleep. You realize that? Like, that dude, like, never slept. You know, I don't know how he did it. Uh, it's, that's, it's amazing to me. Went up and prayed, knew that was, that was, you know, important part for him. And here we pick it up in verse 26. So when the disciples, chapter 14 of Matthew, verse 26. When the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. Ah! They said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, right? Be brave. It is I, do not be afraid. Peter responded and said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat. And he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened. And he began to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out with his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Right? The fear. Fear can be defined as doubt. Right? That's what we talked about. But you know what? Okay, so, Jesus, so Peter faltered a little bit, you know. But I've said this before in lessons prior. He got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. That is huge. I don't think you. a lot of people miss that, that part. That, that Peter got out, man. And he was walking on the water. Right? Because of the hope that he had. There was his Lord. There was his king. And he was walking towards it. But then he let what? He lost his focus on Jesus. And he started worrying about what? The stuff of the world, right? The waves, the wind, and all this physical stuff that was coming at him. And he got fear. But, who pulled him out? <coughs> Jesus. See, Jesus is there. And all he's the greatest example for us, right? When we focus on him, we can walk on water. We can get out of the boat with confidence. And if we falter, he's there to lift us up. Right? There should be, there's no fear. Right? If there is, he's there. Man, I love that picture that Peter got out of the boat. Man, Peter got out of the boat. That's huge. Get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. Jesus is calling. Get out. Right? Go walk on water. Because you can't. you believe it? Peter did. For a little bit. Believe it all the time. You'll walk on water. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We got we to gotta, we gotta look at, at Paul, right? My goodness, right? As, as, as we see, what, what, what's that dude look like, you know? Like, could you imagine what the last, what his physical body looked like in the end? Like, how was that dude even walking? You know, how was his brain even working, right? All, all the hits that he took. Man, and just that great attitude, right? In 2 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, right? 
So are they servants of Christ? I'm speaking as if it's saying, I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I've spent adrift at sea, I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold, and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is a daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. Wow. And yet, did Paul waver? Right? Can we say that he had great hope? Right? In the face of fear? Of overwhelming fear? Anybody ever been beaten with a rod? No? Said it. Oh, maybe? Or. Imprisoned, right? Shipwrecked. All these things that happened to him, and I'm sure this is the short list, right? And yet what? Great hope, right? Great hope. Such such an amazing attitude, right? Paul, it, it's, you know, so focused on Jesus. That was his key, right? But persevering through it all because of his great hope. His confidence in God. Let's go to uh, Luke chapter 22. This is where it's going to get good. When we look at Jesus, man, you know when the, the one line that says he lived a sin-free life? <laughs> really? Like, that's the most amazing thing, right? Like, to have lived a sin-free life and everything that he did. It wasn't like he honkered in his bunker, right? Like, he was out. Getting after it. Like saving people. Just entire cities were coming to him at one time. Right? And we just had this line, hey, you know, Jesus lived a sin-free life. Man, there's so much to that, right? That's huge. There's so much there. But in Luke 22, we see him. We see him in the garden, right? Because he knows what's coming. You think Jesus saw flogging and crucifixion? You think he saw it? I think he saw it. I think that's what brings this on. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, and saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. So he's asking, any other way, because I know what's coming, Right? God answers that prayer. How? An angel strengthened him. Guess what, son? This is what's happening. Sweating drops of blood. Hematidrosis is the technical term for that of what the human body actually does. Right? Condition in which blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture causing it to exude blood. It occurs under conditions of extreme physical or emotional stress. There have been accounts of soldiers, right, that were going to march out in certain death 
sweating drops of blood. I think this shows Jesus, right? And he's, he's, it says he's in agony. He was praying fervently, right? There's any other way. And then what did he do? He set his face like flint, it says. Set his face like flint, and he went. And he went. Now, here's, here's where it gets interesting, I think. Just like God mentions that Jesus lived a sin-free life. There it is. You know when he talks about Jesus being flogged and crucified? That's basically all he says. Right? Sir, there's some banter you know, between him and Pilate and, and some others. But Jesus, God basically writes down that, you know, Jesus was flogged and crucified. Now we see Jesus, right? We have accounts of Jesus, of how he reacts to that. How he's dealing with people, with love and compassion. Through all of that, right? Well, what is... Flogging and crucifixion. What is that? You ever wonder, like, how extreme that really is? Like, I, I found it interesting that God just said, well, he was flogged and crucified. Scourging. The usual instrument for scourging was a short whip with several single or braided leather thongs of variable lengths in which small iron balls or sharp pieces of sheep bones were tied at intervals. For scourging, the man was stripped of his clothing, and his hands were tied to an upright post. The back, buttocks, and legs were flogged either by two soldiers called lictors, or by one who alternated positions. The severity of the scourging depended on the disposition of the lictors or the soldiers, and was intended to weaken the victim to a state just short of collapse or death. As the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victim's back with full force, the iron balls would cause deep contusions, and the leather thongs and sheep bones would cut into the skin and the subcutaneous tissues. Then as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. The extent of blood loss may well have determined how long the victim would survive on the cross after the scourging, the soldiers often taunted the victim. Did we see some of that in, in the word? Yes, right? Okay. So when you talk about the subcutaneous tissue, that's the deepest layer of skin, and the majority of the fat is stored there. It protects your internal organs and muscles from shock. It goes that deep in the scourging. Crucifixion was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. It was one of the most disgraceful and cruel methods of execution and usually was reserved only for slaves, foreigners, revolutionaries, and the vilest of criminals. It was customary for the condemned man to carry his own cross from the flogging post to the site of the crucifixion outside the city walls. He was usually naked. One of the soldiers carried a sign on which the condemned man's name and crime were displayed. All sound familiar? At the site of the execution, by law, the victim was given a bitter drink of wine mixed with myrrh or gall as a mild pain reliever. The criminal was then thrown to the ground on his back with his arms outstretched along the crossbar. The hands could be nailed or tied to the crossbar, but nailing apparently was preferred by the Romans. The nails were tapered iron uh, spikes approximately five to seven inches long with a square shaft three-eighths of an inch. 
The nails commonly were driven through the wrists rather than the palms. Next, the feet were fixed to the cross, either by nails or ropes. Nailing, again, was the preferred Roman practice. Usually were nailed directly to the front of the post. To accomplish this, the flexion of the knees may have been quite prominent, and the bent legs may have been rotated outward. The soldiers and the civilian crowd often taunted and jeered the condemned man, and the soldiers customarily divided up his clothes among themselves. The length of survival generally ranged from three to four hours to three to four days, and appears to have been inversely related to the severity of the scourging. How long was Jesus on the cross? Was it days? No. Not uncommonly, insects would light upon or burrow into the open wounds of the eyes, ears, and nose of the dying and helpless victim, and birds of prey would tear at these sights. Each wound apparently was intended to produce intense agony, and the contributing cause, uh, causes of death were numerous. The scourging prior to crucifixion served to weaken the condemned man, and if blood loss was considerable, to produce conditions leading to a severe drop in blood pressure, fainting, and even organ failure. When the victim was thrown to the ground on his back in preparation for the transfixion of his hands, his scourging wounds most likely would become torn open again and contaminated with dirt. Furthermore, with each respiration, the painful scourging wounds would be scraped against the rough wood of the post. As a result, blood loss in the back probably would continue throughout the crucifixion ordeal. Accordingly, the iron spikes probably were driven between the radius, the heavier of the two forearm bones, and the carpals, the eight wrist bones. Nail driven to this location would crush or sever the large median nerve. This nerve produces sensation and movement, particularly to the second and third fingers. Damage to the median nerve results in a contracture or a claw-like deformity of the hand. The damaged nerve would also produce excruciating bolts of fiery pain in both arms. The crucial effect of crucifixion beyond the excruciating pain was a marked interference with normal respiration, particularly exhalation, right? exhaling. Breathing would be shallow. A high level of carbon dioxide in the bloodstream would soon result. The onset of muscle cramps or tetanic contractions due to fatigue and the high levels of carbon dioxide in the blood would hinder respiration even further. Adequate exhaling required lifting the body by pushing up on the feet that are nailed to the cross and flexing the elbows and pulling the shoulders inward. However, this maneuver would, would place the entire weight of the body on the bones of the feet and would produce searing pain. Lifting of the body would also painfully scrape the scourge back against the rough wooden post. Muscle cramps and loss of feeling in both the outstretched and uplifted arms would add to the discomfort. As a result, each respiratory effort would become agonizing and tiring, further reducing the oxygen levels in the blood and lead eventually to asphyxia. The actual cause of death by crucifixion was multifactorial and varied somewhat with each case. Death by crucifixion was in every sense of the word excruciating. You get the picture? That is what our Lord and our King was willing to go through for us. In the end. What do we have to complain about? What do we have to be fearful about? Strong hope 
in overwhelming fear. Looks like that. That's our Lord and our King. Let's go do the same. Thanks for listening. don't like to talk about ugly things, especially in the United States. We want everything packaged nicely, beautiful music, nice cushy chairs, not like these. We just want it all perfect. That's not the reality of how the devil, that, that coward, operates. We need to be prepared mentally. As Jesus was. He was living for us. He was dying for us. The question is, will we die to ourselves right now? The song be done with lesser things. There's a lot of baggage we need to get rid of for what's to come. Whatever you're clinging to on this side, it's going to burn and it's going to be taken away. We need to be mentally prepared. As it says in Hebrews in chapter 10, the seizure of our property, the imprisonment of those who stand firm. If we're not ready for that, there's a good chance that that coward is going to crush you. We cannot be crushed in Christ Jesus. Amen. We cannot be crushed in Christ Jesus. Now's the time to make sure you're in Christ Jesus. Now's the time to become as he was. Fearless. So loving of you that he was willing to give everything. Are we that loving of him that we're willing to give up everything? Well, honestly brother in Christ who served in the military says you can train and train and train until the actual event and then you know if you don't train you won't be able to function but you need to train I'm glad you didn't steal on my passages because that's what we're going to work on tomorrow training mental strength and discipline now now 